0: Hello and welcome back to Aegis Therapies PDGM podcast series, a podcast designed to give you ongoing information and strategies for success in the new home health environment. I'm Hal Price, Senior Vice President for Sales and Marketing at Aegis Therapies, and in this episode, I'm joined by Mark Besh, Chief Clinical Officer for Aegis Therapies, and Don Greaves, Vice President of At Home with Aegis. Dawn and Mark, thanks for joining me today. So Mark I'd like to uh, start with you we're going to be talking today about the five components of the new payment model and in the last session we had uh, there were there were some nice comments that were made about what really brought us to this point can you give us a quick summary just to get us caught up sure sure Hal.
1: well CMS for uh, a number of years has um, has desired has had uh, initiatives to reform the payment model for the home health uh, environment and uh, much of this stems from CMS's uh, triple aim and CMS's stated desire to move payment uh, away from volume and more towards value so the shift from volume to value is clearly um, uh, central to this um, to this reform uh, CMS wants a reform model that is more patient-centered and, uh, and that plays uh, a key role. Uh, interestingly, uh, unique to the reform of the Home Health Payment Model, PDGM, um, uh, is that fact that this reform was actually mandated uh, by Congress. So in, in the Balanced Budget Act of 2018, um, Congress mandated uh, several components that are included in this payment model. Number one, that CMS move away from paying, uh, from uh, having therapy services, rally, rather, uh, be such a heavy influence of, uh, of payment. Um, CMS uh, mandated the implementation date uh, on or before January 1st, uh, 2020. And so, um, uh, those are all uh, influencers I, I, in terms of principles or objectives, uh, if you will. I think we would uh, we'd put them in three categories that CMS would, uh, would support. Number one, uh, to improve payment accuracy for home health services, to promote uh, fair compensation for home health services, and to increase the quality of care for beneficiaries. So I think those are the primary drivers, Hal.
0: All right, thanks, Mark. So Dawn, five components. Uh, can you give us a little bit of information about the first of the components? Uh, maybe provide a bit of an overview and what are some of the factors that we should be aware of? Sure,
2: happy to do that. Um, the, the, first, the first group of components is that admission source and timing. So it's really made up of two different um, two different items within that first component. So admission source being whether you came from the community or were discharged from an institution. So what happened to you prior to coming to the home health episode? Um, If you were in um, an institutional environment, um, so either acute care hospital or a post-acute setting, such as skilled nursing facility or rehabilitation facility, 14 days prior to uh, your admission to home health, you qualify as an institutional admission. And so with that institutional admission, um, the reimbursement for those patients is impacted uh, because CMS did calculations around resource utilization and compared the resource utilization in patients coming from these two different paths. Um, and so that feeds into this payment model. That's one of what they're defining as you know, characteristics that, that feeds the payment model. So that's the community piece and the institutional piece. The second part of admission source and timing is early and late. And so for um, folks will either be qualified as an early admission um, uh, or an early 30-day payment period, or they will be a late 30-day payment period. Um, In today's world, early in the PPS model is the first two 60-day episodes. Um, And so in today's world, 120 days is early. In the new model, um, only the first 30-day payment period is considered early. So within your first 60-day episodes, the first 30-day payment period would be early and the second 30-day payment period would be late. So if you look at those two variables, they combine to make four different categories within admission source and timing. You'll either be community early or community late, or institutional early, or institutional late. And just like with the difference in admission source, the resource utilization for the timing, um, CMS took a look at the historical resource use um, based on whether or not a patient was in their first 30-day payment period, or a subsequent 30-day payment period, um, and, and determined that the resource utilization was higher in that early, 30-day payment period. So those two things come together to give you your, your, your points or total where you would fall for the admission source and timing. And that information comes from the claim. So it's not up to the agency to say this is a community admission or this is an institutional admission. Um, CMS will be looking at the claim um, and looking at the, the patient's history of claims and making the determination as to whether or not it was institutional or community or early or late.
1: Yeah, thanks, Don. Um, so, the second component, and again, if, if we back up just a half a step here, remember that, that the, the payments are determined based on uh, patient or uh, you know, patient characteristics. And so, again, we t- I talked early in the introduction, CMS wants this to be a patient centered model. And so there's different patient characteristics that are considered. As Don just um, aptly described, uh, what was the setting the patient was in most recent to their admission to, uh, to the home health and, uh, and, and the timing of the episode? The second component, the second set of uh, patient characteristics, if you will, have to do with the diagnosis of the patient. Uh, CMS uses the term clinical grouping Um, uh, again this comes from the claim so the principal diagnosis as reported on the claim is what will place each patient into one of 12 clinical groupings and again the resource utilization for these group groupings the uh, research behind the model suggests that the resource utilization is different therefore the the weighting the case mix adjustment if you will uh, will be different uh, and will be influenced by these these clinical groupings so just real briefly the the 12 groupings without going into great detail there's one that's called muscular rehabilitation uh, pretty obvious in terms of, of description another one is called neuro or stroke rehabilitation, so again, neurological uh, types of conditions. There's one that's centered around wounds and skin integrity. Uh, there's another that is, is, is based more on uh, complex, uh, uh, complex medical and complex nursing uh, intervention. One um, ab- uh, That has to do with patients with behavioral challenges and issues uh, and then a category, uh, sort of a b- broad, uh, or what was originally the final category, mm-hmm. that was called uh, Medication Management, Teaching, and Assessment. Again, a very broad category called MMTA. And uh, and uh, CMS got a lot of feedback about how broad that category was. Can't you break that down a little bit differently? And so they did that. They actually broke that. Uh, category into into seven uh, different subgroups, having to do with surg- post-surgical care and, and cardiac issues, endocrine, some of the different uh, um, body systems, if you will, um, that provided uh, a bit more specificity.
2: Yeah, and interestingly, in that MMTA group initially, over 50% of the patients were going to fall into that category, and thus the pushback from the industry is the to- how can that be a common resource utilization across that larger group of folks? Sorry I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. All right. So the the as as Mark spoke to that, the primary reason for the home health encounter um, is what the agency needs to look to as the primary diagnosis for that individual. And and in those first two categories, the primary reason is therapy utilization, yep. right, in the muscular scale of rehab and neuro rehab. Um, that the primary reason for the patient coming on into home health um, is, is to receive rehabilitation. For all the rest of the categories, it's primarily driven by a nursing need. And so that's something that's, that, that's important to understand about that, that category as well. But
1: wouldn't you agree, Don, that, uh, that while those first two categories are primarily an indication of rehabilitation need, that certainly patients who fall into really any of the rest of the clinical groupings could also be, um, be could benefit from, and in fact, uh, have a clinical indication for therapy. It just not may, might not be front and center.
2: Absolutely, and that and CMS has made that clear in their explanation as they've talked about the rule, um, because only a little over 20%, I think it is, fall into those first two categories, right? And clearly, more than, mid 20% of our patients are on caseload now, and so um, for for therapy and receiving therapy services. So CMS has said that we need to provide what's clinically appropriate for the patient. So while the primary reason is nursing services, it might be wound care, Um, are therapists involved in wound care patients now? Absolutely. You know, when you think about um, positioning of patients, right? um, what do we do from a mobility standpoint, improving their mobility to take the pressure off of the womb, educating and training caregivers with with positioning and mobility right? so the things that we get engaged in now um to improve blood flow to the to the womb to help with healing and so so yeah, definitely there's there's those patients that need therapy now need therapy in the future regardless of which clinical category or group they fall into. Yeah, so, That's a great way to say that. Yeah, yeah thank you. I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, the, the next clinical uh, characteristic is functional impairment level. And so for uh, functional impairment, um, similar to today, um, we have a low functional, a medium functional, and a high um, functional impairment level um, in, in today's model. And in the new world, um, we're going to have a low, medium, and a high. Um, those points are um, pulled from the scoring on the OASIS. So the first couple of things we've talked about are claims data related. So CMS goes to what's put on the claim and pulls that information. Functional impairment level actually comes from the scoring on the OASIS, the scoring of the questions on the OASIS. And it's gonna be really critical um, that we're accurate in that assessment. Um, It's critical in today's model as well because it feeds into reimbursement today. Um, the, The way that CMS developed this model based on resource utilization means that if I don't score a patient accurately, then the dollars that CMS thinks it takes me to take care of those patients won't be reflected accurately either. And so I run the risk of not having sufficient reimbursement available to take care fully of that patient's needs. And the difference between a low and a medium um, impairment level for the same clinical category could be 15, 17, 18%. And so that's a significant difference in reimbursement level. So it's it's gonna be really important that agencies understand the questions that feed into that and that we are even more important than today, looking at an interdisciplinary approach to assessing that patient and accurately addressing those questions. Only one person can score the OASIS, right? It's the admitting clinician who makes the final determination of the score on the OASIS. But CMS has been very clear in its guidance that it expects collaboration of all disciplines involved with the patient um, in the development of the patient's care plan in the assessment, that the evaluations, all of that could, should be considered. Um, one of the changes, an additional change with the functional scoring, is that um, grooming has been added. And so, in today's world, grooming doesn't feed into the functional scoring, but under PDGM it does. And so, while a lot of agencies have had focus and training around upper body dressing and lower body dressing and bathing and grooming has maybe been an area where we haven't had as much focus, and that's gonna be really important. Um, Another thing to understand about the functional level is risk of rehospitalization now will feed into the functional score in PDGM. So you're thinking, you know, how is that a functional question, right? Well, there's research that shows that um, with higher impairment uh, of function, my risk for rehospitalization and institutionalization goes up. I'm not saying that's why CMS pulled those two things together. I'm saying, in my little mind, that's kind of maybe how those two things link, right? Um, that if I have a higher functional impairment level, I have a higher risk for adverse events. Um, but the risk for rehospitalization, uh, you have to answer yes to four of the questions the eight, nine, and 10 don't count only answers to that first subset of questions count, you have to have four. And once you answer, check off four of those for that risk of rehospitalization, that's when you get additional points that feed into determining whether you're a low, medium, or high. And so everyone understanding that risk for rehospitalization and how those questions are scored is also going to be really important uh, because it's 11 points into the functional level. Um, that if yes is the answer to the risk for rehospitalization.
1: Okay. And then uh, the fourth uh, component to the uh, the payment methodology is what's called the comorbidity adjustment. So CMS needed to build in a mechanism whereby the the payment model could account for uh, additional resource utilization, additional care needs, if you will, for patients who may have multiple uh, um, diagnoses or secondary diagnosis, again, as as reported uh, on the claim. And so somewhat like the functional levels, which are scored as, as low, medium, and high, for the comorbidity adjustments, the patient uh, falls into, again, one of three categories. First category is simply none. They, they don't have comorbidity. Uh, next category is what's called low. Next category is high, and let me explain those. So one might think that um, any comorbidity that that you or I would think of uh, could be counted, um, but the program doesn't work quite that way. CMS is very uh, prescriptive in terms of the uh, categories, if you will, of uh, comorbidities, and then subcategories. So a very finite set of of conditions that, if present, um, would be included. and so to qualify for what's referred to as the the low comorbidity adjustment, a patient simply has one um, of the of these uh, home health specific comorbidity subgroups uh, associated with with the higher resource use. so presence of one. Qualifies the patient in the low category. A presence of two or more qualifies the patient in the um, in the high category. So again, um, you either have one or you have two or more. Um, they don't um, they don't accumulate, if you will, beyond um, beyond those two. So as you think about this this last description of comorbidity adjustment, or even broadly. All of the components that we've talked about, every single patient based on responses in each of these categories. So was it a community admission or institutional? Is it an early episode or late? What is the diagnostic group or clinical grouping? Uh, As Dawn talked about, uh, the different uh, components that are calculated for functional score, uh, yield uh, a certain um, number of points. The comorbidity adjustment. All of those things factored together uh, place a patient or classify a patient into one, but only one case uh, uh, mix group, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it's, not a simple, it's not a simple program. There are a total of 432 uh, of these separate groups, and each of those has a unique um, index or multiplier, if you will, that determines a payment rate. And so um, now, fortunately, um, there will be groupers and software and technology that will take all of these responses and information and actually uh, uh, calculate uh, the case mix group, if you will, and and place the patient into one of those 432 uh, groupings. Uh, thus the G and the PDGM and um, and so that's really that that's a that's a somewhat uh, um, peel the layer of the onion look at uh, at the at the groupings and uh, and the components um, that that um, that make up the program so don't any uh, any last thoughts on that
2: yeah, just to point out that the um, it's 30-day payment periods, right? And so when you think about today's world, there's like 153 different you know, um, HHRGs that you can fall into, and they cover a 60-day um, payment, right? And in the new world, part of the reason there's 432 of them is because they are not only all these complexities that feed into where you fall but they are a 30-day payment period, right? And so that's where the early 30 days or the late 30 days comes in. Um, and so it's a little different than thinking about it from that episodic um, perspective. And we'll we'll cover lupas in another podcast, um, because there will also be 432 different lupa. Each one of these individual HHRGs will have its own lupa threshold, um, somewhere between two and six visits. So that's another thing we can we can touch on at a later time
0: well thank you Dawn and Mark very helpful discussion and uh, as always a lot to think about so please join us for the next podcast in our continuing series where we will be reviewing two key areas that will impact success in the new environment specific considerations for therapy in PDGM and strategies for interdisciplinary communication and collaboration this is Hal Price